sex talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hey, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. So excited. I have a friend here. As much as he's like a consummate pro, Joe is my friend. Welcome, Joe Mulinary. I'm so glad you're here. He's a sex and trauma therapist in Minneapolis, licensed Colorado and Minnesota, online therapy offered. Yes, because online's the best. As all of you know, I'm a little biased. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk all about sex, meditation, men. We're going to talk all about all the things. So y'all strap on, strap in, be ready, bring the notes. <laughs> it's like, it's going to like a college class in here. So we've already been talking about men. We've already been talking about, and I feel like I need to record every moment that I get to talk to, to my awesome friend colleagues, because you guys are going to get all the information today. So one of the things that we were talking about before we jumped on recording was how when male identified people come into your office and some of those kind of initial concerns that they tell you that they're experiencing. So somebody who comes right into your office, what are you usually hearing from them and where do you begin? Yeah. What we were talking about was um, some male identified people, people with penises coming into my office and describing something around erectile dysfunction, delayed ejaculation, we're not being able to ejaculate at all sometimes. Um, we're ejaculating sooner than they'd like. With those folks, oftentimes what we're talking about is they're so in their head that they are really disconnected from their body, from pleasure, and from a partner if they're having partnered sex. Yes, absolutely. I think many of the male-identified folks that come into my office, my, my online office, of course, they, this is something that I hear from them or the way that they describe, they'll even, the way that they describe feelings a lot of the time is so disconnected from their bodies. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you start to start to rebuild that connection? How do you get them to kind of move down the direction of being more comfortable with their, their physical selves? Yeah, it starts really simply. Well, depending on where somebody is, sometimes I'll get a client and it's who's already meditating, already has some sort of sense of body. But often I'm working with men who are coming in and I ask the question, like simple questions, as we're talking in the first session, what do you notice in your body now? And the response is, I don't know. And also it's a weird question to consider, like what's happening in my body as I'm talking about any one thing. So I start to ask questions about that too. Do you ever notice sensations in your body, right? Do you notice what you notice during sex? What's it like having sex? What is pleasure like for you in sex? And a lot of those answers continue to be, I don't know, or pretty limited information. So we start with really simple things like holding an object, right? So I have a pen here and holding a pen, it could be anything. And just noticing first anything that I can notice about the pen to just shift my focus and be aware of that, but also noticing What's, what does it feel like in my fingers? The answer might be, I don't know, there as well. <laughs> so I might encourage there too. Okay, let's be patient. Press down harder. And what do you notice there? Y'all, we and, got pens in our hands. Get yeah. pen. If you're not driving, get the pen. <laughs> right. Notice your steering wheel. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mindful driving, that's great. Uh-huh. 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So noticing a firmer pressure between your fingers and people might start to notice, you know, like, oh, I feel this pressure and you might even roll it between your fingers. And that might feel like a slight little finger massage. What if you let go of that pressure? What happens there? And people just start to notice differences. You might notice, like, is it firm? Is it soft? Is it bendy? Is it not? So people start to get some sense of this is what it's like to be with one part of my body, just with sensation. So gradually, I might also start to notice, like, what is the hand without a pen? <laughs> what is that same area? What do you notice now? What's different? And, you know, just subtle differences. Like, what is it like just to hold your attention there? What's the temperature of it? Is it cool? Is it warm? Do you feel the air? The air moving there? So those subtle experiences can be super helpful and just starting to get some attunement to what it's like to be in my body. Yes. I, I think we spend a lot of time culturally, and this is apart from like big feelings, apart from trauma. We spend a lot of time in our culture, at, at least in American culture, disconnected from our sense of self and our, our, our bodies overall. A lot of us are staring at devices or computers or working, whatever the case may be, and we're not present. Yeah, absolutely. So if someone like one of your, your male bodied people came into your office and wanted to kind of, you wanted to help them start a regular mindfulness practice, like some of these active, like mindfulness options are great. Where else would you direct them? Yeah. So of course, depends. I also focus a lot on trauma. So it depends on where people feel safe and okay. Right. Sometimes a simple thing like, can you spend three minutes noticing what it's like to have your hand closed and slowly opening something like that, just slowly starting with something like that. I often work with breath. Some people find breath not safe for certain reasons, right? So we just start slowly with whatever feels okay to be in the moment at the time. But for most people, I, I do see breath is okay. So we'll focus on that sensation of breathing through. And I'll also suggest several focal points and see what feels good for them. So it might be a focal point of noticing the nostril and where the air comes in and where it comes out. And just that sensation. What is it like to stay with that sensation for an entire breath? Give yourself 10 of those. I right? want to right now. Everyone, yeah. wants to, I, Joe, as Joe talks, yeah. I just want to do everything that he is saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Because ideally, this is pleasurable. But sometimes it's also difficult, right? It brings up stuff. And so as we're talking about mindfulness, we're also talking about, well, what do you notice? Maybe there's some pain there. Maybe there's sadness, maybe anxiety, maybe fear, right? And those things can all come up. And I think our role as therapists is really to help people be with whatever is. Like, how do I know that whatever happens, if, you know, if I'm just getting really in the moment, and I don't usually do that, so that's actually kind of fearful. How can I see fear as something to be with and to be curious about versus something that keeps me away from being present? So with anything, even the simplest mindfulness activities, we're always doing it together first, several times. And we're noticing what happens. So if we're learning that there's some fear that comes up or some sort of discomfort, we're actively processing that together. Like, what's it like to notice that? Can we describe it more? And allowing them to be more in that moment. But back to your question, simple practices like that, like noticing 10 breaths and having a focal point, like the rise and fall of the belly or the sensation of air coming in and out. Or just how do you trace the entire length of air moving through your body? Even if you imagine it, how do you stay with that process? Those things can be super helpful for just getting people on track before maybe they move into any sort of a, like a more traditional meditation practice. Fair. Absolutely fair. When it comes to some of the 
sexual issues that you see? I mean, you named like erectile dysfunction, like how can meditation really impact those issues? Yeah, I think a lot of ways. I use meditation as kind of a metaphor for so many things in therapy. So one is, the big one is just our relationship to the mind. So if client is struggling with erectile dysfunction and they're saying, well, what's happening is I lose my erection and then my mind is saying, you're not going to get it back or will you get it back? What does this person think of me? What does the world think of me? Am I a man? All those thoughts are going on, which are not sexy, right? That's not getting me aroused. That's not getting me in the moment. No, not at all. That's not going to keep an erect penis, of course. (laughs) So we look at that as that's the mind. And the more that we have experience with noticing whatever the mind is doing and coming back to body as we're learning with breath, then we're going to be able to translate that skill progressively into our sexuality as well. But we need a really firm base. That skill and practice isn't just something like you do for a few weeks and suddenly you got it. This is really a life practice. And that's what I encourage people to do because it's not just about sex. It's about a lot of things and how we can increase focus in our lives, how we can better connect with people. And, and with sexuality, we're not just shifting our relationship to the mind, but we're also getting a better connection to pleasure in the body. Because if I start to know what's going on in my body, I can also come back to pleasure. So I think this is a little bit later in treatment for ED, for example, but not just coming back to the body so I can sort of manage the anxiety, but coming back to the body so I can actually be aware of the pleasure that's happening. Yes. And be okay that it's happening. Right. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) That's one of the things that I think more than anything, referencing what you brought up right up front is that it's okay to be safe in your body and it's okay to experience pleasure in your body. Right. Which can be a real thing for some people, right? It's just even exploring the shame around experiencing pleasure, experiencing the shame of being in one's body. And that's a whole nother process to be in in therapy is really caring for that shame and offering that compassion. I think, well, and of course I say, I think, I wonder about in your practice, when you see a lot of these male body folk come through your door when it comes to shame, when it comes to like cultural barriers, I mean, the, the, the cultural barrier of like the stereotypes of like men are always supposed to be on and ready and that they're always supposed to yes. be for sex. Like, yes. How do you see that really impacts your, your folks? In a lot of ways. So we often talk about how men coming into my office often see the penis as the center of the universe of sexuality. And if I don't have an, and it's not just penis, it's an erect penis. And if I don't have an erect penis, then sex doesn't happen because sex is really defined singularly as intercourse. And that's a problem for a lot of people because, again, if I don't have the erection, then I can no longer be intimate. I can no longer have sex. I have no sexuality. What's wrong with me? Again, the mind cycles and cycles and cycles. That focus is so problematic for all of us out there. Yes, yes. (laughs) Us full-bodied people. Most of us don't orgasm from that penetration. Yes. It's probably both of us. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So helping men, since we're talking about men, like helping them get more in tune with their bodies and get more in in tune with communicating from their bodies. Also, the part of education here is around how do you tune into other people's bodies and helping other people express themselves and really listening to your partner around what feels good for them, right? I want to be able to say what feels good for me. And I also want to be really curious and supportive about what's important for the person in front of me. Oh, oh, all of the chills. Joan knows what's up. So when 
you start tackling, I mean, I'm biased here, so I always want to tackle the shame first, but like <laughs> when, when we were kind of talking about like just even introducing vocabulary. Absolutely. Yeah. You're talking about tackling the shame. So yeah, part of that is having direct conversations, right? If somebody comes into the office and can't say penis, vulva, anus, can't say sex, right? Or if they come in and say like, well, the problem is that I, I can't make it happen down there. It tells me something about what's happening for them. And that's that they're carrying shame, even about the language, about what's happening. So how can that not translate into what's happening when they're trying to have sex? So having direct communication is a big part of breaking down the shame. Um, I take a narrative lens on this, and I really think about the social construction with people about like how we've created our relationship to sex through the messages that we get in media, through the messages that we get in possibly families and our religious lives and various community systems that we're in and schools through old sex ed methods, right? So there's so many things that tell us what to think about sex. There's so many people that come to my office where we're actively breaking down the old message and just noticing, again, noticing when the mind brings it up and shifting back into, well, how do I want to feel about sex? Versus this is what I was told when I was eight and 10 and 12 and still told today in so many ways. How does that make me feel in my body? And how do I want to think differently? And how do I want to feel in my body? And that can be a really helpful thing to just keep exploring ongoingly because you're not going to break down those old messages in one session. It's a really active process. And for every single one of us, we as therapists, I, I know at least I won't speak, but I know for myself, like mindfulness and coming to a mindfulness practice that worked for me took me a significant amount of time. I had to find one and I, and I encourage my clients to do this all the time. I had to find one that I wanted to do again and again. Because sometimes I know many clients will say like, oh, well, I got bored or I can't, I tried it once. And it's like, yo, it's going to be some trial and error. Like, what about for you, like yourself, like in your mindfulness journey? What, how did that kind of start for you? And how did you keep with it? Yeah, I'm not sure how this came up early, but I have messages of sitting on this rock in a neighborhood I lived on when I was a kid and like trying to meditate. Yeah, I remember this, but I don't remember where I learned about meditation. I must have seen it in some movie that inspired me or something, right? But I would sit on this rock and watch the clouds or close my eyes. And I had this vision of just what it might be like to, to feel more grounded. And I think I was translating that into being able to find some more happiness in my life. But I didn't really know what I was doing. And I think maybe it was even easier when I was younger, because then when I like started to come to that as something that I really knew something about, that I was reading about, that I went to a couple workshops on later in like college and grad school, I found myself getting really frustrated. And I tell clients this story all the time that, you know, I got frustrated because I kept noticing my mind. <laughs> and so because I kept noticing my mind, I got into shame mode and I thought, well, I can't do this. I'm an idiot. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and that, like, that we get this message that mindfulness is like this. You're supposed to be able to clear your mind of all. Yeah. 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 It should be blank. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? no. It was such a wonderful thing when I had a very similar experience to you in the, it was in a training while I was in graduate school. I went to an act, which is acceptance and commitment therapy workshop with Kelly Wilson. And when he said, this was years and years ago, he said to me, your mind is a machine. It is made to think. And you're not going to stop it from doing that. Like that create, I was like, oh, mind blown. 
I love that. <laughs> I love that. I often talk about the mind. So the mind is sort of next to my head. I, so I sort of show clients my hand is right next to my head. There's the mind. It's going to stay there. I'm not actually pushing it away anywhere. So I'm just noticing, oh, okay, so I'm noticing the mind. It's right there. It's almost like I'm looking towards it. And then once I have that awareness, then looking towards it, I can make the choice to come back and look towards my body, right? Look towards that breath, whatever focal point we're using. Like, how do I just sort of return? So we're shifting the relationship with the mind. And also, I remind people that the path for me, and I think the path for a lot of people can be, that what's important is how gentle that process is, right? So like, I notice the mind and it's like, oh my God, who am I, right? Like, what, what's my problem? But what if it's, oh, okay, there's the mind. I'm gently shifting back to my body. And that gentleness stands out for me still today, some mornings in meditation of, well, like how powerful that is to be gentle to yourself. This powerful practice of kindness towards oneself versus that onslaught of judgment that can really wreck us. Yes, that cycle of the way that I kind of think about it, I almost think about like, and I think of anxiety, I almost think of them as like separate systems and thoughts that belong with them. And if you can think about it as the separate system and go, okay, yeah, I see you there. I'm not going to beat myself up, beat my foot on my own neck about yeah. that process. Yeah. And that, that kindness and compassion, I think, is mindfulness is what it took for me, myself. And many of my clients who have been regularly practicing, it is the same. That noticing, just like what you said, that the, my mind is over here or the system is over here. It is, and not just like, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shit. I'm awful. I'm worthless because of the mind. Right. And can I even notice when that happens, right? I'm a shit. Oh, okay, notice that. And then gently come back. So even when we're in that place of judgment, can we be gentle and kind to ourselves? That's something that's happening. What else is happening right now? I'm right here. I feel this sensation. Quick break from the action, folks. <laughs> action. <laughs> I just want to tell you about my Patreon. Every week, I bring you guests and seriously, lots of sex nerdery. <laughs> Help me keep doing that by becoming a supporter. What do you get in return? Cool perks. For real. I am going to be doing shout outs, stickers, a bunch of stuff. So check it out at ericamiley.com forward slash Patreon. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y.com forward slash Patreon. I hope to see you and see more of you by becoming a Patreon. Thanks, guys. When folks start getting like further into kind of like either like erectile dysfunction treatment or what are you encouraging them to try? A lot of things. I use a pretty integrative approach. Since I do EMDR, I often use EMDR for folks on standout memories so, for example, it's often like the first time somebody lost an erection with a partner it really stands out to them. Because, like, this is my perspective. The mind, while you're losing an erection, is going, oh, my God, not again, not again, not again, right? So when I say not again, that means you're thinking about some time. So I want to help them process through a memory so that they can leave that baggage behind a bit so that's not as powerful for them. So I found that to be a really important part of the work that I do with people for releasing that energy. But then you have also the meditation practice that we're ongoingly trying of, so we notice what happens and we come back. 
And then we also notice, so I draw a pleasure circle with everybody, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So on that pleasure circle, we're thinking about what is sex? Because when they come in and I tell them, like, what I'm hearing from you right now is I have this circle and there's like one dot, you put your penis into somebody else. And that's what sex is for you. And like, am I right? <laughs> or is there more? <laughs> and <laughs> right. And so we start to fill that circle up. So maybe also what sex is, is I like my nipples touched, or I like to touch my partner's nipples, or maybe we do something orally, or maybe we kiss for a while. Maybe we do a massage. Maybe we play with some form of kink. All of those things and a lot more can be on that circle. So if I don't have an erection, again, getting out of the mind space and reconnecting to my body, what else do I want? What else do I like? What else does my partner want? What else do they like? And can we have conversations about what do we move to now? Okay, so the penis isn't erect to have penetrative sex. So can I give you a massage? Because that feels really good for us. We love when we do that. And what happens if we're really fully present with that? You know what? Oftentimes it means an erection comes back. Not all the time. And that has to be okay too, because that's biology. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love, I love what I was thinking. I was talking to Dr. David today and he was talking about how medical doctors say to him all the time, we can give tons of like erections, but we can't give people desire. Yeah. And the body work that you're talking about really helps people understand that there is a myriad of, there's a toolbox that is full of things that you already like and that you already have been doing, and it is part of sex. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and releasing the pressure allows you to really be with those experiences. So when you see people start to get, to get better, I mean, that's what they want. They want to get better. Everybody wants to get better. Like, what do you start to see as far as changes in their life? Yeah, and let me hold off on that one second, because I think one important piece we haven't talked about yet is communication. Oh, yes. Right? Oh, it's keeping me honest here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's important for me to talk about because this can be one of the hardest parts for a lot of people, especially when you're talking about shame, is being able to have the progressive conversation. Like I was sitting with people this week and we're thinking about, okay, like when are you going to talk to your partner about what we're doing? Um, it's, ideally, they come in and we can have the conversation together. It's not always possible, but ideally. But being able to have the conversation of saying like, okay, I'm doing this practice now because I'm also helping people with masturbation and what they're noticing with masturbation, mindful masturbation. How do you start to have conversations where you're using direct language about your body to talk about what's happening and your feelings about it? Because you start to break down that intense fear that can come up around partnered sex. So one of the skills that I use is within masturbation, allowing erection to come and then allowing it to go away. Right? allowing the ocean to come and allowing it to go away and doing that mindfully. So you're retraining the brain to notice that, oh, okay, an erection can come back when it goes away. That doesn't mean the end of the world. But then if you have a partner also doing that with your partner and being able to have proactive conversations. So, Hey, it's in the next few days, what I'd like to do is this, and this is why can we do that instead of in the middle of something, Hey, let me try this real quick. And I'm really nervous and I'm not so sure. But having these progressive conversations sets you up for be able, being able to talk about things as they happen. So the fear, you're already joined with your partner around the ED or whatever problem you're having. So you're a team versus you're alone in your shame, which is going to eat you alive. 
<laughs> yes. Team sexy detective. Yes, I love that. Yes. <laughs> Not team, oh shit. Yeah. And partners so often appreciate that because what I hear from partners is often they feel like they're helpless. They feel like they're not desired. They don't know what's going on. Their partner's closing up. Right. And so they feel like, uh, well, they don't know. They're creating a million stories about what's happening for their partner. So allowing them to join in in your experience is hugely important. Filling, you're allowing to fill in the actual gap and with actual data and not but the data the mind will create. Narratives are, are I, I can't tell you, I mean, within relationship, how many times I hear from people, oh, well, I was looking at his Instagram and he was looking at these things. So this must be why he can't get it. Yeah, done. totally. Like, I've heard that no, as well. No, 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 no. You're filling in the gaps with data. You have to have. Yes. Yes. So yeah. I am just loving everything you're saying. As far as like where, where some folks can go like upfront. I mean, we all, I mean, we're all going to preach therapy all day because we want you all to be in therapy. Uh, the world needs therapy, American needs therapy. Let's just get it done, people. So when like some of those first resources that they could maybe access maybe online or if you have like a meditation app suggestion, like any of those kind of first places you you suggest people to go when they're kind of Yeah, totally. So I always show people Insight Timer. There's a lot of meditation apps that I think are good. I use Insight Timer because it's free. There's a paid version as well. It's great. But to start off with a free one, and there's a lot of courses on there you can use. There's a lot of like well-known teachers that you can you know hear. So I think it's a really great way to get into something. So I'll show them that in session and say, this is how it works. And really do some conversations about how you might use that. But we practice all the skills that I'm talking about in session, right? So like they also know this is something we can do. Sometimes I'll record it for them while we do it. If we're doing mindfulness activities, they just put their phone next to me and they have it on recording. And then what I also really encourage people to do is to find a teacher. A therapist can be a teacher. I think it's also really rad to have a community teacher. So Minneapolis, at least, is pretty full of great little meditation centers. So I can usually find someone that's really close to somebody. And what I suggest to people is even if you're going like once a month to a group, that can be really powerful to be in the process with other people who are taking this seriously. And it's also a really good community of people to be in touch with because often people are thinking about things like judgment and shame and how you shift your relationship to them. So it's a neat place to build community. There's some podcasts on mindfulness that I'll throw at people sometimes. Like I like Tricycle, which is a Buddhist magazine. I'm going to make sure all these things are in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, that's a lot of what I'm doing for folks. I think that insight time, I think that's wonderful. I, I often will tell my my clients about the calm app. Many of us therapists can offer extra like 30 day free so you can get some free time with something so that you can and YouTube is a wonderful app free option for like when you're looking for something that is accessible to you because that's the point of all this is we want you to be able to access all of this stuff so how do people find you in the world joe yeah yeah the easiest way is at joemolinari.com and that's j-o-e-m-o-l-i-n-a-r-i.com i have an office here in loring park in minneapolis um it's a really beautiful kind of uh almost feels like a retreat center, actually. It's really quiet and calm. Those are the best ways to find me. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. For yeah. Everybody, I'm sure they were all meditating while they were driving. Y'all, 
get it's time it is time it is one of those things that i think culturally we're spending a lot of time like pop culture it's it meditation is kind of coming out so it's becoming more mainstream but there's a reason for it we have the research that supports it it we and before the research supported it cultures <laughs> for a thousand years have supported coming internally understanding yourself better and learning to be able to create some distance you and the mind yeah hey one more resource that i just remember i often recommend people doing even couples to do together if there's a mindfulness-based stress reduction course around them to do like here the university offers them they're eight weeks long and they can go in the evening and that's an awesome thing for people to get involved with. And it's like an adult learning course at a university, so they can kind of even enjoy that process and the people that go there. And then anything that John Kabat-Zinn writes, I think, on beginning mindfulness is a really great resource to have, those early books. Perfect. I love it. Absolutely. I'm going to make sure everything, again, is in the show notes. So everyone, I'm so glad you joined us all the way to the end. Joe, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Folks, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See you all next time.